Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hey, everybody, it's T with the UFOs Want to Tell You Something. This week, I got some more faded disc stuff for you guys. Our first interview is Betty Andreessen and Raymond Fowler. This was on the Mike Douglas Show on June 12th of 1979. But before we get that started, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody reaching out to me about the book. And again, if you're an experiencer or adductee and you'd like to reach out to me to maybe appear in the book, just let me know. Email me at theufos at yahoo.com or hit me up on my Facebook page. Send me a private message and I'll talk to you. So next week we got Kathleen Martin. Now it's going to be on Monday, so I'll post it right after I do the interview with her. I'm very excited about it. As you all know, she's the niece of Betty Hill, and she knows her stuff about abductions. All right, now let's get it. Please have in mind, the audio quality of this one is not exactly the best. If I could clear it up better, I would, but this is just how I got it. This woman says that she was abducted by beings from another planet and taken on board their spaceship, where she experienced a bizarre, unforgettable journey in time and space. Now, what makes her story credible is the work that a team of UFO researchers headed by this man did to document the incident. Now, the results of their findings are reported in this fascinating book, The Andreasen Affair. Would you please welcome Betty Andreasen and Raymond E. Collar. On television, may I tell you, Betty? Yes, sir. Uh, where you're up against the, the time element, and it's, it, it would be difficult for you to condense this whole uh, experience. But could you briefly tell us what this, what happened? Well, it was evening, and suddenly the lights went out in my home, and a red orange pulsing uh, light came from the pantry window. Uh, suddenly there were five beings in my home. One went over to the side uh, where I did not see them. Uh, then the other four and I went into the living room uh, where my family was placed in a state of suspended animation. And for a short period of time, my daughter Becky was taken out to show me that my family was all right. From there, I was taken out into the kitchen again. And uh, meanwhile, my father was off to the side in the pantry area with one of the beings. And he, too, was placed in a state of suspended animation. I was taken out uh, into the backyard, and I was taken aboard the aircraft. And I was given uh, extensive examination, brought to a strange place, and then returned home. What do you mean by brought to a strange place? Aboard the uh, craft? Yes, I was taken aboard uh, the craft, and they took me through different rooms and put me through different things. And finally, they took me into this uh, strange place where there was a red atmosphere and uh, a green atmosphere. Did you maintain consciousness through all this experience? Yes, I did. Did they how did they communicate with you? Through mental telepathy. Their uh, voice was English and had a slight foreign accent to it. They left a small blue book with you. Yes. Describe that. It was a very thin book. It had approximately 40 pages to it. The first three pages were uh, very, very bright, almost appeared like light. There were different images within it, different um, formulas, uh, pictures of the craft, strange writing. Uh, there were uh, numbers. Did you see this blue book, Mr. Collins? No, she only had it for 10 days. They told us she could keep it for 10 days to study, and then it would disappear. And of course, we didn't hear about the case until 1977 in this new place. Yeah. Did it disappear, as they said, in 10 yes. days? Oh. 10 days. Just suddenly it wasn't there, right? It there now, a bust was made from your description of the, of the figures. 
during the Is that the scanning machine above you there? Yes, it looks like an eye. An X-ray machine, maybe. Right. Off to the left of the sunlight apparatus. This is when I was brought into the room housing eight glass-like chairs. And what I was is that in front of you? That a desk yeah. or what? No, that is a chair that encompassed me. A uh, hood came down close around me and gray liquid filled the uh, chair. They had gray liquid? Yes, which swirls around my body. And uh, they gave me some red medicine, uh, some red stuff to drink, and it soothed me. This is a picture of the beings that were in the red atmosphere, very strange. They uh, had like two stalks and moved independently. The eyes just could look anywhere. This is a picture of my father in back of the uh, wall in the pantry in, in a state of suspended animation, the being holding a white light uh, that made him shuffle out of the area, yet he was not conscious of what was going on. Did, he, did any of your family remember any of this? My father remembered uh, seeing them uh, when they came out of the craft in, into the house. He remembered seeing them hopping. And he thought it was children dressed up in Halloween costumes. Is that the, the way they get from here yes. to there? They hop. Yeah, uh, when they're outside the craft. Inside the craft, they glide very easily. They don't walk like we no. do one foot in front of the other. No. I see. And my daughter also, when she was taken out of the spring of animation for a few moments for me to see that my family was all right. We'll have more on this strange journey following these messages. Well, we've heard Betty's story, Raymond. Uh, were you skeptical when you first? About. I must admit that I was, and that I tried to persuade our local investigators to have nothing to do with this woman. But they persisted, and as director of investigations for the Mutual UFO Network and residing in Massachusetts, I often looked over the investigations being carried over, carried on by the Massachusetts team. And uh, after an initial character reference check was made, indicating that she seemed to be a very reliable person, I became a member of a five-man team consisting of an aerospace engineer, a solar physicist, and other people with technical backgrounds, and performed the character reference check myself. And what are your credentials as an investigator? Well, I served uh, as an early warning coordinator with the United States Air Force-sponsored University of Colorado project. I've been advised at the ITF. I presently am with Dr. Hynek's Center for UFO Studies and uh, am director of investigations on the board of directors for an international group called the Mutual UFO Network. I think back to the character reference check, and we checked with our neighbors and lawyers, ministers, etc. We gave her two extensive uh, lie detector tests by her, by her daughters, to establish whether or not they were trying to perpetrate a very clever hoax. And they passed the test with flying colors. The next question that came to mind was, uh, was she a psychotic? And uh, we had her sit down with a psychiatrist who assured her, that showed us, and assured her that she was not a psychotic, that she really believed the account, and he couldn't account for the stimulus that was outside of his expertise. Now, of course, we used 14 hypnotic regression sessions to bring out the amnesic portion. In very vivid detail, she relived it. She just didn't talk about it like she is today. She was saying, were there any variations? No, this was the interesting thing to me. The hypnotist could bring her back to relive a segment over again, and it was just like winding back a tape recorder. Mm. Uh, watching Becky, for example, relive it as an 11-year-old was fascinating because you had, had a girl in her 20s sitting there in the hypnotist chair using the vocabulary of an 11-year-old girl, describing the clay creatures talking to mummy with the same fear and everything that she had uh, experienced then. It was uh, a fascinating thing to be part of. Why do you suppose, buddy, that you were singled out? We have, have we established for everyone listening where you're from and what is all the place? I think it's a place in Massachusetts. And I don't believe that I'm just the only one that's been singled out because they told me that they've had many people aboard their craft and uh, that they have lost information in their minds and it will come out in time. I just don't see lost it. Lost information into the minds of the people that have been yes, contacted? Yes, that he's been contacted. Hmm. Are they friendly people? They say that they love mankind and they want to help the world, what they told me. Are you satisfied that Are you satisfied that that's the case? Well, I feel as if it's the case. Um, they've been giving me different uh, things, writings and things about what is taking place and happening, and these are all being checked through. Uh, the technology is certainly superior to ours, isn't it? I really don't understand the technology. Well, even the extraterrestrial, well, this isn't something more complex than this. Of course, uh, interstellar space travel is beyond our technology. The distances are so vast, the speed of light seems to be a anyone. It seems incredible. I've talked to astronauts, I've talked to pilots, and they always 
say almost the same thing that they'd be chasing when suddenly they just point upward and, and speeds absolutely beyond belief, you know, climbing speeds, where they practically burn up jet craft to, to stay near them, you know. You brought, excuse me, Mike, go ahead. Uh, uh, yeah, I have a couple questions. Um, first of all, in the book, I get this impression that from your point of view, uh, this is a, has a religious connotation somehow, yeah. and that from your point of view, that's yet to be decided. That's correct. Um, you have maintained that you think they, whoever they are, uh, are on our side. They're on, you know, they have positive feelings about mankind. But you mentioned a, uh, them breaking in on telephone calls, being very angry. Uh, well, they told me. You're being monitored. Then, right? Yes, they told me that um, that there are 70 races visiting the Earth, and one is detrimental to man. You brought up something that I definitely want to get on the air. It's an audio tape of Betty under hypnosis as she describes the physical examination that these beings gave her. Let's listen to this tape of her under hypnosis. Getting ready for something down by my feet So the next one I got for you guys is Charles Hickson interviewed and comments by Dr. J. Allen Hynek on October of 1974. Now, as you know, Dr. J. Allen Hynek is a hero of mine, as he is to many others in the UFO field. He brings just the right amount of skepticism and open-mindedness. I hope you guys enjoy. to Pascagoula uh, completely negative, but I talked, I worked with those men for quite a while. I listened to tapes that had been taken when they didn't know they were being taped. I uh, uh, saw what, how Charlie behaved under hypnosis, and uh, finally the, the lie detector test. All of those things convinced me that he was not making it up. The, they had had they had had an experience. Period. But you can't determine whether they actually saw a flying saucer or were taken aboard one. No, I I couldn't at all. There's, there's no no way that I know of in which um, we could determine that. It's like if you tell me that you dreamt of purple peach trees last night, what can I do about it? Well, you have to go on the assumption that he is indeed telling the truth. Well, yeah. Uh, you have to then judge by his past reputation, what, what his, how he's regarded in the community. Would he have any reason to do it? Um, all that sort of thing. So um, I just don't know about that. Of course, it fits a pattern. You see, that's not an isolated case. We have a catalog now of well over 800 such cases. On October 23rd of this year, Charles Hickson, one of the men involved in that incident at Pascagoula, invited WWDC newsman Rudolph Brewington to his home in Gautier, Mississippi. That's just north of Pascagoula. And Hickson recalled his experience. Uh, last year on October the 16th, in the fall of the year, Calvin Parker and myself, we, uh, at that time we were employed by F.B. Walker and Son Shipyard in Pascagoula. Uh, 
dog, and sometime during the day on October 11th, we decided to go fishing after work, something that I, I do, you know, quite often when I'm not working is fishing. So after we got off work, uh, probably 4.30, I think, we were working nine hours a day. We, uh, I came home and uh, to get my fishing gear, and we wouldn't go out in a boat because uh, we were going to the banks of the river and fish from the banks for speckled trout and redfish. So we tried, we uh, got our bait, and we got to the river and tried several spots, and the fish didn't seem to be biting. So there was one more spot that we were going to try. That it, uh, In the past, I'd caught fish there a lot of times at the old Shaw Peter shipyard. It's an old bandit shipyard. So we went um, about, uh, back up the river to, to the old shipyard, and we were fishing from a pier off of the a wharf, you might say, on the uh, banks of the river there. And... Um, it had become dark by that time. We do quite a bit of uh, uh, fishing after dark, you know, down here on that time of the year. So I don't know what attracted my attention where I had reached around to get more bait, which was sitting behind us, or uh, I heard some kind of zipping-like sound, like uh, air of a steam or something escaping from a pipe. And as I turned around, I saw some uh, two blue flashing lights, or either pulsating lights, I'm not sure, and it seemed like um, it, it was some type of craft, and it seemed like it was almost down to the ground then. In fact, it was—it seemed to be about a, a, a couple of feet, you know, above the ground. It just hovered there. So Calvin had turned by this time, and, and uh, he was looking at it too. And really, I didn't know what to do. I just—it just—I was just spelled down there for a few minutes, just and. Um, and then almost immediately, some type of opening appeared in the, the end that was Taurus, with what I assume to be the front end. And the the light that had come outside was just, it was real, real bright light. And three things appeared in the doorway uh, of the craft, and they seemed to just glide out, out of the craft. They never touched the ground. They seemed to just glide across, it must have been 25 or 30 feet from us, or, or maybe a little further than that. And they... They came to us, just glided over to us, and, and uh, two of them took me by the arms from the side, and one took a hold of Calvin, and, and um, I seen Calvin go limp, and I didn't know it then, but he had fainted. So they um, they carried me inside the craft, and, and, and the light was almost blinding inside. In fact, for about three or four days, I had something like a bad welding flash in my eyes. And I can't, I can't recall or I can't remember just what was on the inside simply because the light was so bright that I just couldn't, couldn't make out what it was. But I didn't see any tables or chairs, and the room seemed to be round. Of course, that could have been because the light seemed to be glowing from the walls and the overhead and the ceiling. But they carried me, what, I guess about the middle of the room, and we would just seem to be suspended there. I, I, I couldn't move. I didn't have any feelings, no sensation of... Of, uh, of any field, and it seemed to, something like a big eye. I keep referring to it as an eye because it was about size for small baseball. In the end, it was focused toward me. It was a different color or a different light, and it seemed to come directly out from the wall. And it came within six or eight inches of my face, and and uh, it, it remained there for a, a few minutes, and then it, very few minutes, and then it uh, went over my entire body. I'm assuming it did because when it went down like this, I seemed to be suspended there. And the next time I seen it, it was coming back up over this way. So I assumed that it went over my entire body. But it came back in front of my face and stayed there for a few more minutes, and then it seemed to just go right back into the wall. And these things, that, the, the, the way they were holding me, I was elevated because they, they weren't as tall as me, and they were upright, and I was elevated like this. And I could see, I could move my eyes on the thing that I could move. And I could see that they had released me. And I don't know where they went, whether they went outside the craft or, or another uh, room or compartment, but they didn't come in front of me. And they left me that way for for a few minutes. I don't know how long. And then after a while, they uh, I, I seen them then when they come back to the side of me and took hold of me again. And they carried me back outside the craft. And, and we were still just glad. And I, I wouldn't touch anything that I know of. And they seemed to just glide back out to where they had taken me from and put me back down on the ground. Well, when they did, I, I fell because my legs were weak and they gave way on me. 
And it was this time that I seen Calvin again. He was standing there. He was standing facing the river with his arms outstretched, and he was almost in shock. Uh, he seemed to appear to me at that time he was something was wrong with him. But so I was trying to, to get to make my way toward him, and, and uh, I was crawling. I couldn't get my legs to working. But before I got to him, they, I, the strength of whatever it was came back to my legs, and I was getting up on my feet, and I heard the, the, the same sound I'd heard before, a zipping sound. And I glanced around, and I saw the blue flashing lights, and, and it was the crack was just gone, just, just almost instantly. And I, 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 got to, I made it to Calvin, and I shook him and, and was calling to him, and it took me several minutes to get him where I could even even talk to him, you know, with any, any sense, and, and he was going in shock. And these things that, um, that came out of the crack, they were about five or five foot four inches tall, and they didn't have a neck. Uh, the, the head seemed to come directed to the shoulders, and they had something that resembled a nose on a, on a face, and, and uh, about where ears would be was something that was uh, similar to the nose, only it was a little longer. They it seemed to come out almost to a point. And under the nose, it was something like a slit for a mouth, and, and uh, it was very wrinkled. And it, it, seemed, it appeared to me to be something like an elephant skin, but I don't know where it was a, a metal or what it was, but it seemed to be very wrinkled with the wrinkles running horizontal. And in the area where the eyes should have been, uh, it was so wrinkled that, that I'm not even sure there was eyes. I, don't, I can't recall whether there was any eyes or not, and Calvin says he can't. But... Um, Anyway, after I I, brought, I got Calvin where I could talk to him, we didn't know what to do, and, and uh, we were almost scared to death. And we we first decided we wouldn't tell anyone, but the more we talked about it, the more we realized that we had to tell somebody. It was the military authorities, if nobody else. So we called Keesler Air Force Base, which is only about, it blocks you about 30 miles south of here. And I talked to someone there, and they told me that the Air Force didn't handle those things anymore, that we would have to go through our uh, sheriff's department. Well, then we, we hesitated again because, you know, you go to the, uh, the people just, just, something like that is not supposed to happen, and when you would probably be laughed at and ridiculed. But we, we talked it over again and decided we would call the sheriff's department, and uh, Sheriff Fred Diamond told us to come on over there, that we'd talk about it. So we stayed there for several hours talking with them and them questioning us. And uh, the sheriff promised me that it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't any news media know anything about it, that he would try to get, get it to the proper authorities if he could find out who the proper authorities was and have it investigated. So we went home that morning, and it was morning because they had kept us there quite late. And with assurance that no, uh, it, it wouldn't be any publicity about it at all. Well, we we went on to work that morning, uh, and by seven or eight o'clock, uh, there was telephones ringing, uh, you know, all over the shipyard. And I called Fred Diamond, and he said that he don't know how the story leaked out from the sheriff's department, but uh, you know that by that time the whole world knew about it. You said something that was like an eye ran up and down your body. Do you think it was like examining you? Um, yes, it was some, it, it had to be some type of examination. Well, I say had to be, it, it, it appears to me that it would be. And after talking with a lot of scientists, and uh, um, I'm convinced that it was something, it was, it was some type of examination that it, that it, it gave me. Did you communicate with these creatures, these things? No, uh, and the only sound that they made, they didn't attempt to communicate with me. The only sound that, that, that they made, one of them, and I'm not even sure it come from, from, from one of the things, but it was some kind of mumbling-like sound, a low mumbling sound from one of them. But other than that, they, they didn't try to communicate. I tried to, to, to say something to them aboard the craft, but uh, it, I think now, and, and I have a, a reasons to believe, many different reasons to believe, these things were robots. They weren't beings. They were being controlled by beings from somewhere else. What made you think that, sir? Well, for, for as I just mentioned, several reasons. Uh, I didn't see any movement of, of, of uh, breath in the, in the chest area. I didn't see any movement of, of breath in, the, in the, the, the slit of the mouth area. It didn't move. And when they move, they seem to move as something mechanically. They could move their arms like this, 
and in their shoulders, but their head didn't move, and when they moved, they seemed to turn as if mechanically. It appeared to me that they they had something that they were programmed, you might say, to do something. They had something specific to do, and they just simply done it, and their attention wasn't distracting one way or the other. Did their examination of you hurt you? No, no. The only only physical pain that I had is when, when they took hold of me there on the banks of the river. The one that took hold of my left arm, and this arm here, just instantly I felt pain, but it was gone just that quick. And then once the bo- aboard the craft, at one time, I felt this, the same uh, pain in the same area again, but it was just instantly. And that's the only physical pain that I had through the entire thing. Now, approximately how long do you figure you were in the craft itself? Well, I'm not sure, because I don't wear a watch. A watch won't keep time on me. And Calvin didn't have a watch. And we, um, we've we tried to go back, and uh, or I've tried to go back and, and try to figure the time out from the time that, that we left the air going to call it uh, Keesley Air Force Base and all. And it could have possibly been as long as... as um, well, it could have been anywhere from 30 minutes to, to an hour, and probably even longer than that. Can you give our listeners some idea of the size of this craft that you were suspended within? Well, the craft, uh, let me explain now. The angle that I was looking toward the craft, it's hard for me to say, which I can't say, whether the craft was round like a disc or whether it was long or oblong like a cigar. Because I, the, it, was, it was, let me give you an example. Like the craft was sitting here. We're assuming that this is the front end of it. That was the end that was Taurus. Well, I'm looking at it from this angle. So all I can see is what is this side and what I'm assuming to be the front, and maybe it's a little bit of the back. So I can't be sure whether the craft was was round like a disc or was long or oblong. But it appeared to me that it was about 30 or 40 foot long and maybe uh, 8 or 10 foot high. Well, it, it hadn't affected me, I don't think. It, it, has, it has affected my life because I don't, and now I don't have time to, for a recreation that, that I did have before with my wife and my children. And uh, there's always, um, there, there's so many interviews and there's so many places that I go in the country which I'd rather be home with my family. And shortly afterward, for a few months, I didn't, I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat. I, uh, it was on my mind all the time. But the fear's all gone now, and uh, it's just uh, it's just just not as much fear as it was before. Have you had any recurring nightmares about this? Uh, shortly after I did, yes, but uh, that's all gone now. And then I might add that uh, we, uh, we we asked uh, the sheriff that night uh, because after we decided to tell the sheriff, certainly we wanted to. To, to prove to them that it did happen. So we asked for a lie detector test. They didn't have the facilities here in Jackson County. So later on in the, I think it was either the latter part of October or the early part of November, uh, Calvin had had a nervous breakdown because, I think because of this, and he was in a hospital in, in Jones County. Uh, I took a polygraph test from, uh, here in Pascoola uh, which proved that, that I was telling the, the truth. Now, you said your friend Calvin has had a nervous breakdown. You yes, he had, a, he had a nervous breakdown, and he remained uh, a while in the hospital, but he's okay now. He's. You don't seem to be too affected by outwardly. Well, the, the only way that I can explain that, Calvin is quite a bit younger than me, and Calvin had never known much fear. But I've known fear a lot of times, and no, nothing like that, but I was in... Uh, in combat in career. In fact, I was in career about 20 months and 16 days in the Korean War. And I've known fear many times before. And unless that was the reason that caused me to hold up better than Calvin did under, I don't know. Speaking of fear, were you afraid during this entire thing? I certainly was, and, and uh, uh, I can explain that. Uh, normal, what I consider normal fear to be is something that, that, that you expect, you know. Just normal fear is something that, that you expect here on this earth. But this was something that uh, wasn't supposed to even exist. And it's fear that you can't even explain. Because I kept thinking, you know, that well, what are they going to do? Are they going to take us away? Or, or are they going to kill us? Or are they going to take us away? And uh, 
Well, in fact, when they carried me aboard that craft, I figured that that, that I'd never uh, put my foot on Earth again. But you never see your family again. I never see my family anymore. What is your feeling on UFOs? Do you think that there's life beyond this Earth? Well, let me let me explain. Now, before this happened to me, I can't say that I believed or disbelieved because I simply didn't uh, didn't think about it one way or the other. I, I guess I'm like most people. I had my own little world that I lived in. And I didn't consider uh, life on other worlds. I didn't think about it. But now there's no doubt in my mind. I, I positively know that there's uh, at least one world up there somewhere with some type of life on it. I know it could be a fact. An intelligent but peaceful life. That's right. They're, I think they're peaceful because, um, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't try to harm Calvin and me physically. Uh, in fact, they seem to be very easy with us. Uh, what they wanted, I don't know, but I certainly don't think that they're hostile at, at, at all. Would you advocate our government trying to uh, communicate or contact these individuals, these beings, to help us on our planet? Well, certainly. I've, since this has happened to me, I've, I've done I've done all the research and and, um, and all the reading on these things that I can. I've talked with many scientists and doctors and people that is concerned. I think the government should have been doing it a long time ago. Because um, as wasteful as our government is in their spending the money that they've simply thrown away, some of that money could have been used to try to maybe contact intelligent life on other worlds, and probably it could have already been done. One of the arguments that the government always gives is that if they reveal the presence of UFOs, it would cause widespread panic and fear, a la the War of the Worlds broadcast of Austin Worlds many years ago. Do you, do you agree with that? Well, to a certain extent. Now, I agree that, that maybe years years ago, yes. But I think that the, the fact is out now, and, and I honestly believe this, I, I don't think that the Air Force has abandoned their UFO studies. I think that they have, uh, I think that they have uh, definite proof that other, other uh, worlds and beings do exist. And I think before this year is out, and I say this for, uh, uh, well, with some reservation, but uh, I think before the year is out that our government is going to, uh, uh, or particularly our Air Force, is going to come out to the American people and tell them that these things do exist. But I think they're going to do it in a way where they won't cause mass hysteria like you just mentioned. And I think that, uh, that it will be done before the year is out. This last one I've got for you guys is... This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. A hypnosis session with a young 16-year-old girl in 1975. It is extremely intriguing, and I think you guys will enjoy it. The date is September 20th, 1975. Time is 7.45. Client is Tammy, age 16. Even the sound of my voice takes you deeper. September 14th, Sunday, and you're at your cabin, and your mother's there, and your dad, and Shelly, and it's evening. And I want you to find your voice, and even the sound of your own voice will take you deeper. Even the sound of your own voice will bring all of the memories clearer into your own mind. 10.15 at night, Sunday you're at the cabin. Find your voice and tell me what you're doing. Couldn't find the lock to our gate. Somebody had taken it. Then, my brother and me walked up to Rex's. And this guy named Gary, the red car. I my brother looked for a hydraulic jack. We were in Rex's woodshed and we couldn't find it. 
So he opened up his truck and he found a um, uh, jack. So we went back down to the car. And Laverne and Roy were helping my dad. He'd already got the tire on, but he could tell that that one was a little flat, too. And I asked him if I could go ahead of him because I wanted to follow Garth out. He said, no, I want you to wait for me in case something happens. Take yourself ahead in time. Just a few minutes. Take yourself ahead in time. You've already left the cabin. You're in the car. You're driving. Shelley's in the car with you, and you're driving down the road. It's about 10.30 or a little later. Describe to me what is happening as it happens. You're just a few minutes away from the cabin. You haven't gotten to the gravel pitch yet. You know the road. You know where everything is. Describe to me, is the radio on? No. Describe to me what you're wearing. Become aware of what you're wearing. I have a sweater on and pair of jeans. Mom and Dad passed me on the road because they weren't coming up behind me right away, so I stopped. Then they honked and I pulled over. Then they passed me and Raspers were ahead of them. And I started the car and I went. Then we turned the radio on. Okay. Describe everything just as it happens. I am turning the radio on. I hear what song? Mm. Okay. Do you have a cigarette in your hand? No. What is Shelley saying to you? Mr. Rasper's kind of weird. You know who I like now? Barky. Where are you on the road? Almost by the gravel pit. Look at your speedometer and tell me how fast you're going. 30. Is the road bumpy? Yes. Is the radio on? Yes. Continue driving down the road. God, it's got a weird night. God, shall I look? What do you see? Green liking down from the car. The car's called. Shelly's crying. God, the car won't start. Shelly, I'm going as fast as I can. It's coming down lower. Just changed. The moon's weird. How do you feel? I'm really nervous. I'm not steering. I can't go any faster. My foot's all the way down on the brake. Shall I stop crying? Oh my god. Oh shit. The car won't start again. Oh, it's coming down lower. Where's mom and dad? I haven't seen them. Shall I, I don't have to use my foot pedal. 
How's the car going by itself? So the radio is playing two things at once. Change the channel. I'll shut it off. There's something weird going on. I don't feel like I'm me. So what are you going to push those two nodes? Will you get them for me? I think they're in the middle one. If there's any left, you can have the other one. I don't want any tab. You can find my ladder. See if there's an old gold in my purse. Oh, then give me a multi-shit. <laughs> so I don't. Shall I do you hear something? Shall we? The radio's not even on. One of these noises playing on it. It's on King. Turn it on. God, it must have been on. It just turned yellow. God, take me first. Shelly, I'm sorry for everything I've ever done to you. Shelly, I can't go any faster. The car is doing what it can do. It's only going 35 and I feel like I'm walking. I don't even feel like I'm alive. Shelly? Shelly? I don't even think I'm on the right road, but there's no other place. Shelly, where's Dad and Raspers? Why isn't Dad stopping? I want to honk the horn. I can't even see out my window. I'm going to turn the heat on. Oh God, that's cold. I know. I can't breathe. Shall I roll down your window? What's at your window? Oh God! I don't want to look. Shall I? What's happening to us? It's never taken me this long to get out of here before. Wait, what's wrong with the car? The lights aren't working. God, it feels like it's doing whatever it can do. Shelly, will you please give me a cigarette? Oh, this is the last bridge. I want to get out of here fast. Shelly, I told you I'm going as fast as I can go. Oh, I swore it's going 35. What's going on? It seems like it's following us. God, it's not very far at all. Where's Mom and Dad? There's Monte Cristo. The car stopped shoving. There's a car there. Is it Mom and Dad? Oh, Eric, look at that thing. 
curve that. Put it on the dead? No. Look at that guy, he's weird looking. What year is that? I don't know. Shelly, I can't go any faster. Shelly, where is Mom and Dad? They can't go that fast. God. I'm so tired. Don't fall asleep. Shelly, I don't have to use my hands on the wheel. Shelly, there's a car in my rearview mirror. Oh God, that car! I don't want to look at your window. Where'd that car go? There's no place to turn. Shelly, don't cry. I don't understand what's happening. What's that sound? Hurts my ears. It's like a flute. She leaves the radio on. It's weird. I hardly have to breathe anymore, Shelly. Where's Cece? I haven't heard her. Shelly, I'm going to stop at Mount View Inn. I have to get a pack of cigarettes. Should we get some coffee? Okay. Shelly, Mom and Dad are never going to believe us. I feel like driving into a bunch of trees. I know. I feel like I'm the only one on earth. I feel like that music's not going away. God, that river's even dirty looking. Shelly's turning yellow again. I'm sorry, I know I shouldn't swear. Can you see what time it is, Shelly? Where it feels like two hours. I still don't see Dad. Sorry, that car just disappeared. Can you please, do you know what's happening? Look at that thing, it's on the left now. How come it moved? The lights keep turning colors. Surely what's going to happen to us? Do you want us to in? Shall we hook in the raspers are behind us? God, my eyes are green. Look at my face, isn't it look clear? I don't look like myself. Shelly. Should I tell Mrs. Rasper? She'll laugh at me. She's too drunk now anyway. Let's go. Lock the door. Hi. Could have a pack of cool. Hey guys. Nothing. Yeah, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Just go, Shelly. Come on. Yeah, I'll talk to you after school. You can follow behind me. You were driving a clutch for six years. Do you even know what you're talking about? Where's Gigi? 
Good. I'll talk to you tomorrow, okay? See how cold I am. Don't have to jump. Just tell your parents to follow behind me. Yeah, we gotta go. Our parents are gonna be mad. Bye. I know, Shelly. We'll get there. I can steer the car now. God, this road seems like it takes forever. I don't really want to tell Mom and Dad to laugh. I'm not yelling at you. Shelly, I feel so strange. My body feels like a corpse. You push the lighter in. I think it's Shelly's reading my mind. I don't see that thing anymore, Shelly. I still feel weird. Feels like they're controlling me. Everything I say. So much compression in my chest, I can't breathe. Mom and Dad are going to be mad. They must have got home a long time ago. I wish I would stop shaking. Turn the radio on again. Are they still there? But a lot of people around us know nothing can happen. Let everything begin to fade away and begin to rest and relax. Taking yourself out of Tammy's body and mind, make contact with it in any way that you can and tell me what you're picking up. It's so bright. What does it look like? Football. Sort of shaped like football, but it's kind of proportion. What color is it now? Green. What is it doing? Getting lower and lower. Went by the moon, it lit up the moon green. We changed to blue now. It gets lower and lower. It's not very far from me. Do you think it knows what you're thinking? Yes. That's controlling me. Is it possible for you to make contact with it? To communicate with it mentally? Yes. Tell me what you get. It's telling me what to do. I'm not asking myself. I'm somewhere else. Make contact with it so that you can know more about it. It's examining us. See what we what we do. See if we're afraid of them. What can you tell me about the object? It's football shaped. It's about a mile from the ground. 
yellow now. What's inside? Can you go inside? Can you mentally go inside? Controls. Lots of machines. Not on Earth. This is made to look like Earth. By the light. There's some guys. Where's Shelly? I don't know. I'm still in the car. I'm not me. She's there, but she's in shock. She's not even moving. What do you know about the eyes? Green, bright green. Swarthy. Bigger than normal. Can't see anything but green. Green and ugly. What are they doing there? They don't seem to watch anything we do. I don't, I won't look at them because they feel like they, they want me to look at them, but I won't. I don't want to. You can't have me. Begin to pull away. Pull away so that you're up above the car looking down at your car knowing that Tammy and Shelley are inside. Pull away so that you're kind of floating up in the air. Floating up in the air above the car looking down at it. Can you do that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And go closer and closer to the object. Begin to know things about it. Tell me what it's doing. Pulling me. I'm not in my body. They have no soul. I'm crying. Let yourself go into the object. You will be protected by the sound of my voice. Tell me what you experience. Come laughing. Trying to figure my mind out. Don't understand what's happening. It's not real. I'm listening to you. What isn't real? I've never seen so many lights. So many controls. The cockpit of an airplane. I don't understand the electronics. There's nobody there. I see my car. It's driving. I'm going with it. Can you tell me the diameter of the object? No. It's large. Size of the house. I'm so scared. Oh, God, help me. Begin to relax even more and let everything fade away. And begin to drift into a deep, deep sleep. Drift into a deep, deep sleep, deep and sound asleep. 
You will awaken from this sleep in three minutes. It will be a normal sleep, a natural sleep, not remembering anything that has happened. You will awaken from it just as you would from any other normal sleep. With that, I'm going to leave you guys. Again, this next week, I've got Kathleen Martin on with me. It's going to be badass. I want to thank you guys again for listening. I want to give a big thank you to the Ghoulies for Hot Rods from Outer Space. If you guys are experiencers or abductees and would like to reach out to me, hit me up at theufos at yahoo.com or hit me up on my Facebook and private message me. Maybe get a chance to appear in the book. I got a long vetting process. I mean, it's a bit of pain in the ass, but I will hear every story. You're not going to be ridiculed by me. I believe that you are the key to solving this enigma. You may not be able to do it, but you will get us that much closer. And if you're an experiencer or abductee and you need help, just somebody to talk to or hear your stories. It doesn't have to deal with the book or the podcast. I just want to let you know that I'm here to listen. Same with people like Preston Dennett, Kathleen Martin, Debbie Cobble. We will help you. You don't have to go to somebody from Lufthansa. They're a great organization, but they aren't exactly the best. So I just want to let you reach out to people that run abduction groups on Facebook. They will lead you the way. A good one is Mantis Hunter. I have found that he is extremely helpful. He's thoughtful and he knows what he's talking about. So with that, I'm going to leave you guys. I want to thank you again. Please share my podcast if you like it. If not, that's okay too. Just remember the UFOs want to tell you something. Alright guys, keep kicking it.